You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Well, my pretty good dad is about to come up here and read. He's more than pretty good. He's amazing. I've, look, at, hey, hey, look, he's amazing. Is he not? Like, he did a pretty good job. Take us there. Okay. I'll allow it. Good morning. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it To whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and guard, uh, to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, he departed from him until an an opportune time, the healing word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So before we get into that text, I would just like to give a little bit of quick vision for what we've been feeling this uh, Lenten season is supposed to be about in our homes. So what can we focus on during Lent? What are the Lenten focuses for this year? I'm going to go through them quickly. When, it's, when they're all up there, you can take a picture of the screen. This is just stuff to think about. I'll probably say this every Sunday during Lent. But number one, a Lenten focus is about embracing brokenness. How many believe that Jesus is light that shines into darkness? How many believe that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly? Right? How many believe that he really does go into the lostness and find the one? How many can say there was a moment in your life where things were broken and the good carpenter is now putting things back together again? So if we don't embrace brokenness, we don't embrace the area where Jesus always is. Some people have said, I, I don't feel him anymore. And it may be, it may be that one of the reasons why we don't feel him is because during the season of isolation and COVID, we developed mechanisms for avoiding those parts in our life that we don't like. But that's where he is. He's the light that shines into the darkness. 
He's the shepherd who goes out into the woods to find the one that got away. He's the one who goes to what has been demolished and says these bones can live. And so if we avoid those parts in ourselves, if we avoid those parts in our world, we will be avoiding where Jesus always is. He always is where the most repair needs to happen. And so we embrace, we, we, we remember to embrace brokenness during Lent because that is where the Spirit of God is being Messiah. Jesus doesn't need to be Messiah where things are already saved. He doesn't need to be healer where things are already healed. So when we ignore those areas of our life, we ignore the place where he always goes. He makes a home in brokenness. I think you could even say it this way. He makes brokenness his home because he's a healer and a deliverer. So he's always where we don't want to go. And in Lent, we remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into those places in my life because I will feel the presence of God there. Why is that safe to do? Because the second thing is, we are embracing salvation. And said simply, all those areas of brokenness, those are the locations where Jesus always happens. He always happens in that brokenness. We said it on Wednesday night. God doesn't allow bad things to happen for good reasons. God is the good reason that always happens in the midst of things that have no rhyme or reason. He gives reason to things that don't have a reason. He puts mission in things that are missionless. He's the one who birthed life in a tomb. And so that's where salvation happens. He always happens in your brokenness. Lent is a season for embracing simplicity. You could take me as seriously as you want to, or you could just sort of say, cool, and just forget I ever said this. But Lent is the season not for add-ons, not for projects, not for renovations. It's the season in our life, in our homes, where we take stock of what is there and declutter. This church just spent a ton of money downstairs on decluttering. It turns out mitigation companies are a little expensive when they come and take out everything that's been contaminated. It's costly to declutter what's been contaminated. Lent is a season not for saying, oh man, I need to buy new clothes, but for saying there's a bunch of clothes in my closet I don't need anymore. That kind of thing, both naturally and spiritually. Lent is a time to not figure out how can I upgrade but how can I declutter and get rid of things that have toxicities in them that creep up during the year and get me all kinds of materialistic? And by the time I realize I've been materialistic, I've already made some materialistic mistakes. Everybody please know, by the time we realize that sin is at hand, we've already been sinning. I would love to stay there for the rest of the next six weeks, but I'm going to move on. It's a time for embracing emptiness. I concur with something our resident prophet, Stephanie Laurent, said today. Fasting to make room for more room. See, we get materialistic when we say we're fasting to make room for new things. I need to fast to make room for more room 
for Jesus in my life. So during Lent, I want to create emptiness in my life by giving up a few things that it's day five and I miss terribly right now. I give up those things to create a carnal emptiness so that God could actually make more emptiness in my life that he can fill with himself. I'm going to let that hover. And then, and I have to say this very carefully, embracing endurance. There are many of you in this room right now that I know quite personally cannot slow down your life right now. It's just busy. It's going to remain busy. And you're not, you almost don't want it to be not busy because that busyness is providing for your livelihood. When I say endurance, here's what I'm saying specifically for Lent 2022. We have to move away from the mental sprint. Even if your body's going 1,000 miles an hour, I want your mind to be able to slow down this Lenten season. Our mind does not have to go as fast as our body. We could have a lot of things to do but we can think through our life slower and less erratically, less reactively, less impulsively, less manipulatively. E. E. My mother-in-law helps people speak, right? Maybe we could work on that one later on today so I could figure out how to say that word. I need to learn how to speak a right. <laughs> embracing brokenness, embracing salvation, embracing simplicity, embracing emptiness, embracing endurance, mental endurance, the ability to learn how to think accurately about what's going on in my life. Jesus, through his spirit, is inviting you into this embrace during Lent. That's all you have to do. And then you'll have a million points when it's all over, I promise. Jesus is hanging out in the wilderness, and Satan shows up. Let me start off by saying that's not what happens. (laughs) Satan doesn't show up. Jesus reveals where Satan is. I'm not going to belabor this theological point, but light shines into darkness. Darkness does not shine into light. So the only reason why we see Satan so crystal clearly in this text, the only reason why he's so vivid that the writers actually personify him as a person The only reason we hear his words in such a crystal clear way, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. The reason why the author of confusion is so crystal clear in this text is because the perfect light of Jesus is saying, I know who you really are and I'm going to expose how you really are. Satan doesn't reveal anything to anybody. He hides things. Jesus reveals Satan to us and to Satan. And to the wilderness. And to everybody else. We, in our evangelical circles, we give so much power to the demonic. It has none. 
It only has power if we're tricked into thinking it has power. Jesus walks into the wilderness and all the schemes, the the veil reveals who Oz really is the minute Jesus shows up. And we see his game. We see the way he schemes. We see the way he plots. What Satan says in the text is, if you are the son of God, I need everybody. This is one of those points that keeps me up at night. Not because it's complicated and not because it's hard to understand, but because I want it to be grasped so bad. We hear in the text, we hear Satan say, if you are the son of God, do these three things. What we hear when Satan says that to us is, since I am a pastor, I must do these things. So because Christ is revealing Satan, we hear the voice that's behind the voice we hear all the time. The voice we hear all the time is, because I'm a mom, I must be this way. Because I'm a Christian, I must be this way. Because I'm a husband, I must do these husband things to be successful. I hear it every day of my life. Because I'm a pastor, I have to do these pastorly things. But behind that is the voice that's saying, if you are a mom, create your identity by doing this. If you are a father, if you are a good friend, if you are a Christian, then do to prove. But we never hear it like if you are. We hear it like since I am, I must And that is nothing but pure bondage and slavery. Because listen, Lord Jesus, help them. I want that to mean something this morning. Because when our identity is connected to our functionality, a takeover mentality overtakes us. Whenever my identity is rooted in my function, then a takeover mentality will overtake me. If I think what makes me a pastor is to do and perform pastorly things very well, I will have a takeover spirit because I will need you to have your butt in those seats so I can do pastor things so that I can have an identity. What makes me a pastor is Jesus said, you're one. That's it. That's it. If you think that the identity of parent is to do parental things, then you will have to force your kids to look like you're a good parent to have an identity as a parent. I've heard things all for the last two or three years. Identity rooted in being a spouse, that's I- God wants more for you than that. Identity rooted in education and job profession. Identity rooted in being better than I was. These are not identities. These are gifts that God gives to people whose identity is their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're never identified by a title or position or function that you hold. 
You're always identified by the fact that you are God's child. And here's the thing that's frustrating about that. That's not impressive because we've grown so materialistic. I want, I want my identity to be in being a good pastor because I can control that. I can perform that. Listen to me, the best I can do is perform it. I don't know that will ever actually be what we perform. I mean that sincerely, and we're getting to that in a second. Your identity is never in what you do. You ready? When you know that who you are is child of God because he said you are. Light wasn't light because it shined. Light was light because God said, let there be light. The sun doesn't have to shine to be light. The sun shines because God called it light and it was light. You're who you are because Jesus says you are. And that's the only thing that gives you your identity. Everything else that you do is you offering a gift to those things out of that identity. It's a gift we give to our children to parent them. Not a need we have that needs to be met. It's a gift we give our friends to be a faithful, loyal friend. It's not a need that we have that needs to be fulfilled. When we know who we are in Christ, everything we do is a gift we're offering the world. When our identity is in our function, we're taking from the world the raw material that gives us our identity. We're left with more and they're left with less. To make this more simple, we're going to talk about right now how Satan tempts Jesus to be pushy. Have you ever met anybody who's pushy? Is there somebody sitting within 200 feet of you right now that you know is a bit of a pushy? (laughs) I love you, Dom. Am I within 200 feet of anybody? I think so. Do we know somebody who colonizes relationships assuming that if I can make you more like me, your life will get better. I remember Dietrich McQueen in second grade. We were playing kickball, and the center fielder dropped a fly ball, and he said, I wish everyone on this field could be me, we would win. I'll never forget him saying that. And ever since I became an adult, I think that's what I've been saying every day of my life since then. If everyone could just be me, it'd be all right. When I say this stuff about myself, don't you dare look at me like I have a problem. I'm saying it so you know who you are without me offending you. That's what I'm doing. Just want everybody to know this. Pushiness. My spouse used to be so much fun. And now she's not anymore. That could be true. Or that could mean she's not your kind of fun. Because there's a million different kinds of fun. And the more you say she's not fun, what you really mean is she's not my kind of fun. Which means you're colonizing her fun, taking over that land, making it your own, and then making her have to be that thinking it's helpful. And it's not. 
That was a good one, right? How about this one? I had somebody recently, uh, met with somebody over at, I don't like to, I can't advertise, but at a pizza place that I really like in Fishkill. Hey, Sal. (laughs) And they said, I'm just looking for a church where the pastor preaches biblical truth. I said, no, you're not. You're looking for a church that teaches what you think is biblical truth. That's what you're doing. Oh, this book I read is so biblical. No, it's not. It's the way you, th- it's what you think biblical should be. Well, I just, want a, I just want a church that speaks the truth. No, you don't. You want a church that speaks what you think is the truth. Because the minute that pastor says something truthy that's not your kind of truth, you condemn it as heresy, but it might not be. It might be that God is diverse and has various ways of saying the same thing. This is a colonizing mentality that we have. It's pushiness. We're pushing our way onto other people. And Satan wants Jesus to be pushy. And Jesus wants to turn pushiness into supportiveness. He wants us to go from being pushy, which, spoiler alert, we all are, to being supportive, which, spoiler alert, we're trying to be, but we're not always. What does pushiness look like? These are not the only temptations. As my dad actually rightly emphasized when he read the text, I didn't mean actually like I can't believe you did. I meant you did a good job, dad, wherever you are. Every temptation, these are just three that speak for all temptations. First thing he says is, turn this stone into bread. It'll be very simple. You know why Jesus doesn't turn stone into bread? Because he made stone to be stone and doesn't want to violate the nature he gave it to make it something else. No one has ever spoken up for stones in this passage. I'm not going to turn that stone into bread because I said let there be stone and I'm happy with that stone being a stone and I don't need to turn that into something I need so I can consume it. I'm glad it is what it is on its own. But how often do we try to turn stone into bread by turning somebody else into the I can fix them mentality? I can make them something they're not. I can fix this. I recently had somebody say to me, I heard somebody in the church say something and I can fix that. Go home, sit down and think about what you just said for a moment. We're not in the business of turning something into something it's not. Jesus loves stone. He said, let there be stone. So he's not going to violate its agency to make it something that he can consume. Why? Because he's not pushy. A healthy marriage is not one where each side is trying to cut off those things that are the other persons that, they, that violate who I want to be. There are ways, when, when, and, and Jacqueline and I, we never fight. I just want everybody to know this. We've never had an argument. As my grandfather used to say, Jacqueline and I have only had one argument. It started the day we started dating. It's continuing to this day. That's the only argument we've ever had, though. Just one. So much of the preparation and the back and forth and the arguing was, how is this going to fit into my life? It can't. It won't. 
God has a funny way of changing our shape without violating who we are in a way that we don't have the ability to change somebody else's shape without violating who they are. We spend so much of our time trying to turn stone into bread in our relationships and our own lives with our own self. There are people in this room who are so exhausted exerting willpower. You're trying so hard, but you cannot try hard enough to transform yourself. You can submit to the one who lovingly and slowly, slower than you would ever like, forms and reforms you into the image of his son. The best thing we can do for others in our life is to sense what the spirit is doing in their life and join the Holy Spirit in the slow reforming process, but never the changing process. That's pushiness. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. Pushiness violates nature. Pushiness controls methods. Especially in Luke's gospel, there's an interesting phrase that Satan says. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, I will give you this authority and all its glory. Salem, I am telling you, when you read your Bible, don't read so many chapters so fast that you miss words. Listen to the words and how Matthew's account is different than Luke's. The ordering of the temptations is different. The wordiness of the temptations are different for reasons. Because each gospel writer is a pastor who's ma- they're, they're making four different points with the same material. Luke says that Satan says, I will give you all this authority and its glory. Because the devil wants us to think there's glory and having coercive power over other people. And Jesus has nothing to do with it. The only true authority ever to walk the face of this this earth says no to that kind of authority. Jesus doesn't want to control methods. He wants to heal them. He doesn't want to control methods. He wants to influence them. He doesn't want to have people who are into behavior modification. He wants people who, through his love, are being warmed and wooed into an entirely new way of living. There is a kind of authority that gives the authority the satisfaction like all my troops are in a row. As it's hard for me to even say it, know what's going on in the world right now. But that kind of authority we're looking at on the news right now that can take over another country and its land, and by the way, that's not the first time that happened. We also are sitting on land that was also ruthlessly taken over at some point. No, everybody chill, but it's true whether you like it or not. Sometimes we love to denounce Russia because we want to avoid the fact that we got our land the same way, but that's a different conversation. Don't pick sides, right? Just make both sides have to be deeply accountable to the atrocities they're causing. There's authority that thinks, I'm an umbrella, 
and I interact with God, and everyone under me interacts with me. That's horrible. Like, I don't have time to, like, vomit out of my gut how horrible that is. Everybody remember the story of Samuel and Eli? Eli the high priest and Samuel, right? And then God, Samuel hears his name called, and where does Samuel go? To Eli. He's like, Eli, did you call me? Eli's like, no. Psycho, I didn't. Go back to bed. And then Samuel hears it again. Samuel, Samuel. And where does he go? Goes back to Eli. Goes back to bed. God comes again. And he goes back to Eli again. And right there, most of the teaching I heard on the subject stops. And, it's, and the teaching I've heard in many different churches I've been in has said, You're, the voice of God sounds like the voice of your authority. So I said this to my spiritual director one day. And he is an emotionless human being. And he's like, oh, come on. And I'm like, yes, Brother Randy's alive. He has emotions. He said, did they teach the rest of the story? I'm like, what's the rest? Where Eli says to Samuel, it's not my voice. Don't come back to me the next time. You need to hear God's voice and have it not sound like mine. That's what authority is meant to do. To not create dependency, but to create life in God. Like the townspeople said to the woman at the well, it's no longer because of you that we're coming to see him. It's because we met him. That's what authority is meant to do. It's meant to protect a person until they can hear from God on their own. Jesus doesn't bite at that kind of authority. I'm going to talk about why in a second. And the final thing that pushiness does, it violates nature, it controls methods, and it performs, it performs virtue. I don't know where Sophia gets it from, but she's a performer. She likes when people pay attention to her. I'm like, Sophia, nobody you know is like that. Where do you get this from? Everything she does. She performs life. And when a child does it, it's beautiful. But when an adult is performing life, it's terrifying. If you're the son of God, he brings him to the pinnacle of a temple. And he's like, jump off. The angels will catch you. For it says in Psalm 91, the angels will catch you. It's interesting, Salem, and you can just keep this in your back pocket because I know it's nobody in this room. But if somebody ever says to you, you know, I can't believe church, well, this it was said more previously, I can't believe churches are wearing those masks. People are staying in because of COVID. You know, they should just go out and not walk in fear because God will protect you. You know who they sound like? Satan, who said, jump off this temple and God will protect you, quoting that same psalm. You don't live recklessly assuming that God will protect you because he might just let you hit the ground. Because he can raise you up. So God's the only one who can let you hit the ground. Poof! I thought you loved them. In the name of Jesus, rise. They're fine. I just wanted them to hit the ground real fast. He can do that. If we had that power, can you imagine how we would handle our children? If we could just raise them up and heal them two seconds later. Performance. 
I don't want a church that performs worship on Sunday. I want us to be a church that is moved into worship. I don't want us performing Christianity during the week. I want us being real about the Christianity we live and the Christianity we fail to live. The first one saying, I fail to live this way. Performance, performing virtue is a way to get people to respect you without you having to let them deeply into your life. So we want our kids to obey, so we perform. We, we live like we have to perform this perfect lifestyle because the minute there's a, there's a crack in our lifestyle, they're going to exploit it and say, now I never have to listen to you again. Here's the thing. That's true. They will do that because they're immature little brats. But not because that's logical. So we end up having to perform a faith that is to perfection. And we are exhausted trying to do that. Satan wants Jesus to be theatrical. He wants him to be spectacular. He wants him to be awe-inspiring by leaping off a building and having angels catch him. But here's the thing. Later on, Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead, and the next verse says the Pharisees sought to kill Lazarus. How? He just raised that guy from the dead. Let's kill him. Like Somebody should be like, let's not. He just rose him from the dead. But what's the point of that? The point is, Jesus calls Lazarus out of a tomb, then people want to kill Lazarus, pointing out the fact that being spectacular doesn't lead to people believing. As a matter of fact, the more spectacular we try to be, if we are for a season, we will dupe people into thinking this is what it's like, and the minute they see our failure, they will be disillusioned with Christianity altogether. I've been swept up in this celebrity reality of pastors on TV and people you follow, and oh my God, they're so amazing. Oh my God, I got five minutes with so-and-so, and oh my God. And then all of a sudden you see their humanity, and you're like, I hate church. None of you are going to be surprised when you see mine. I probably sinned 18 times. You know what? I, made, I said before church I wasn't going to make the Russia joke, the Russia comment, and I did anyway. Because I'm indulgent. It's a good point. It's a very good point, but it wasn't for this message. There you go. There you go. You would never have known that I literally, the Holy Spirit's like, yes, 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 yes. And he said it. He said it. He said the whole thing. He said the whole thing, and then he riffed on it for 15 minutes. We do this. You don't perform the faith. You live it bumps and bruises, scars, thorns, fruit, and all. That's what people need. That's what people need. Jesus doesn't perform virtue because Jesus is the temple. Who, he doesn't stand on it and jump off. He is the temple and invites you in. That's what support does. Support doesn't say, look how amazing I am. Support says, come into my life. I've made room for you. If you want to support people in your life, it doesn't start with telling them what to do or telling them how to be. It starts saying, come into my life. I've made room for you. Old school, Tim. There's a table. There's a bed. There's a candlestick. These things that we used to hear. But it's true. I've made room for you. Jesus was not standing on our bell tower. He's right here. Inviting you in. And saying, sit with me. That's support. That's not pushiness. 
That's support. It's not pushiness. Jesus doesn't control methods. He is the king whose glory is not in his authority, but it's in his serving. It's in his serving. And I've had people say, you know, you really, you really preach the whole God love and serving part, but there's the other part too. There isn't another part. There isn't anything else to preach about him. His authority is a towel and a cross, not a scepter and a throne. That's it. There's nothing else to preach. He doesn't take authority. He serves himself into it. He doesn't want a group of people that he takes. He wants a group of people who have learned to trust him through how he serves. Otherwise, he would have changed all of our minds by now forcefully. He could do it like this. But he doesn't, not because he's not powerful, because he's all-powerful. And he's showing us, buckle up, he's showing us that to be all-powerful isn't to flex muscle and force. All-powerful actually means to let go of control and serve. So when we see tanks and guns, what we're seeing is weakness. We're so weak, we need to threaten He's hanging up there saying, I'm so strong, I can let you do this to me, and I'm still going to win. So whenever you have to flex, it's because of weakness, not because of strength. We're called to support. Well, I'm not going to support somebody doing something wrong. Well, then no one should ever support you, ever. I'm going to hold you here. (laughs) My job is to hold all of you up long enough for you to have an experience with the one who can save you. So the more wrong I see, the more we have to hold. That's what the elders and deacons and trustees and me and Jacqueline, that's what we do. We hold up until, and the more heavy somebody's pushing back on that holding up, the stronger we hold up, because we're not about coercing change. I want you to be in the light as he is in the light long enough to have that light affect your soul. That's what we should be doing for each other. The more wrong somebody is, hold them up even stronger. I need somebody to help me with this one. And I close with this. He doesn't violate nature. He doesn't turn the stone into bread. He doesn't violate nature. He nourishes it by becoming bread himself. So, my absolute favorite story in the Bible growing up, and you guys hear me say something new about this once a year, twice a year, is David and Goliath. I love that story kind of held David on a pedestal there for a little while. David both shows us a lot of glorious things and a lot of not so glorious things. What does David throw at the giant? Stones, stones. I'm hitting puberty, stones. He hits them with stones, which is interesting because David's the one who likely prior to Goliath said, you prepare a, 
in the presence of my, you prepare a, in the presence of my, a table. Now he's finally in the presence of his enemy, and is he preparing a table? He's slinging a weapon above his head. And again, the Holy Spirit, like with me before, like, David, the whole, that's the Psalm 23. Prepare a table. Why are you throwing rocks? How does David kill Goliath? Somebody shout it out. How does he actually kill Goliath? Whose sword? You see? Goliath's. And later on in his life, he ends up fighting with that sword. Because when we take up the weapons of our enemy, we become just like them. So if Jesus was ever going to turn stones into bread, he would have changed those five smooth stones that David picked up into bread and said, instead of stones and instead of a slingshot, here's a table. Put the bread on the table. Invite Goliath to sit down. He's nine feet tall. He's going to be a little clunky. It's going to take him a while to sit down, but invite him to sit down. Make a tall chair for him. Well, pastor, I thought you just said that he doesn't violate what something is. Why would he turn those stones into bread? Because he also knows that stones that are thrown, that's violating the nature of a stone. Because a stone is meant to be a support, not a weapon. A stone is meant to be what we build on, not what we throw at each other. So Jesus is saying, I don't want to turn those stones into bread, but if you're going to throw them, I'd rather turn them into bread than have them thrown. What does Ezekiel say about our heart? I'm going to remove a heart of, and replace it with a heart of, he wants stones to be stones, and he wants hearts to be hearts. When our heart has become a stone, he will change that stone into flesh. Because his love makes everything what it is always meant to be. If we're pushy, we change things into what we need them to be or want them to be. If we're supportive, we have room in our life for the Holy Spirit to make things and people what God has called them to be. You want to be a good friend, a good parent, a good spouse. Be big enough to hold space for the other person in your life for them to be what God has called them to be without having to worry about uh, stepping on the landmines you've put down. Make a clear path for the people in your life to be who God's created them to be. Not what you want them to be, but who God's called them to be. And don't let your ego be wrapped up in that. There's, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll give you, I'll give you one more personal line from my life. Please remind me of this one day, everybody, because I will purposely forget it. There's a story in Genesis where Abraham is looking for a wife for Isaac, and he sends his servant, and his servant finds Rebekah. And Rebekah's father says, all right, I'll let her go, but why don't you wait 10 or 15 days? And the servant's like, I got I to gotta go. I have to get home now. And the father says, Rebecca's father says, let's ask her. And whatever she decides, we'll do. I've read that story my whole life. Then I had Sophia. And then I read it, and the Holy Spirit said, at some point in her life, you're going to have to ask her that question and trust her response. And I said, no. 
she's going to be locked up in my basement, and I'm going to feed her well. There's a point where you just have to trust and then be like the prodigal father. If they're off making the wrong mistake, they won't even get home before I run out to meet them. But we might have to let them go. I know, Betty. Nobody wants to. Had the same look on my face that you just had. That's my baby. God sends a word into our life. You're going to have to learn to let go of Salem. Talk about let go. I just got it. And then a pandemic sweeps the world. I don't know. Who's where and when? But for something to be what it's called to be, you cannot control it. You have to be big enough to give it space. Close your eyes right now. What are you pushy with in your life? What are you pushy with? What are you trying to force to be a certain way? And as I'm talking, you are realizing that maybe there's good intention but it's becoming toxic. The Holy Spirit wants to invite you into the kind of healing that turns pushiness into supportiveness. Here's what I love about being supportive. You still get to have your hands on the situation. You don't have to get away from it to be supportive. You still get to keep your hands on it. But when you're being pushy, your hands are being forceful. When you're being supportive, your hands are consistent and steady. Always in the place where there could be a fall. Always ready to use your strength to hold it up. That little difference between forceful hands and steady hands positioned where there could be a fall, that is everything. That's the difference between Satan and Jesus. Light and dark evil and good. For some of you, you have actually been pushy with yourself. Hear me. You've been pushy with yourself or you've entirely given up on yourself and you're not pushy and you're not supportive. You've just given up on yourself. I promise you he wants to heal that. Don't let yourself sink back into that mentality that says, you know what, I'm just rotten. It's not awful. It's just a little rotten, and I'm always going to be this way. Do not fight to be perfect or perform, but also don't let yourself fall to the whatever. If it changes, it changes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's not the desire Christ has. The desire Christ has is what tiny little change can we make today? What is just the next inch of this change? That's all. Don't settle for nothing, but don't strive for perfection tomorrow. What's the next little step? I was just talking to somebody the last two weeks who said, I'm trying to learn to talk to my children instead of at them. 
of all the things that we need to change, that's a tiny little thing. But my goodness gracious, will that have immediate impact on everyone involved? That's just the supportive hands of God saying, oh, you're tipping in this area. Let me just nudge you back up. Simple. Simple. Ever since I heard that, I have thought about that every single day (laughs) while I'm talking at her. (laughs) Oh, yeah, to her, right. Right. It's bearing fruit in my life. Just a little a little change in someone else's is already affecting and infecting my parenting. Right? It's not these gigantic revelations of grandeur. It's just an adjustment that changes everything. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would stir your people as we get ready to come to your table, that you would stir your people And if any of us have sort of caught the one thing right now, that one area where we're being pushy and not supportive, if we've caught that, I pray that we would just take a moment today and just sit in your presence and just offer that pushiness to you. Just offer it to you. And I pray that we wouldn't leave here trying not to be pushy. I pray that we would leave here able to see the next time we're pushy, recognize it in the moment, and start to make the change right there. Give us eyes to see where we're trying to turn stone into bread, where we're trying to be spectacular, where we're trying to be coercive. God, we might not know that it's manipulation. Help us to not be so certain that we're not being manipulative. Because the enemy would love us to be so manipulated that we wouldn't know if we're being manipulative. Just this Lenten season, give us eyes to see. Without the fear of feeling like a failure, just the eyes to see where you want to pull out some weeds so that there can be fruit in our life. As everybody's noticed, there's not communion on your, ta- on your seat. If you feel comfortable, I would like us to sort of move back to me handing you the bread, and we'll just do bread. If you would like communion and you don't feel comfortable coming forward, the ushers do have it for you, and they'll hand it out. But what I'd like is, I'd like us to come up for communion in a moment, And then if you feel that this has spoken to you while the worship team sings, just kind of hang out at the altar for a few minutes and just just let the whole just offer the Holy Spirit onto the altar. Just put your hand on the altar and say, here's where I've been pushy. I'm gonna leave it here today. Just let the Holy Spirit bring healing. That's all that this is about. This isn't about anything else. It's about healing. It's what our world needs, it's what our country needs. It's what our state needs. It's what our neighborhood needs. It's what our homes need. It's what my heart needs is healing, healing in our desires. I don't want to have the desire to be pushy. I want to have the desire to be supportive, which means more weight put on me. Pushiness pushes weight onto others. Supportiveness says, give me the weight. I want to want to be supportive. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, 
you did not get pushy. You became support itself by saying, this is my body, which is broken by your pushiness. But it's broken for you and not by you. I'm inviting you to eat from this table of support. And every time you do, remember the difference between pushiness and support. And after supper, Christ took the chalice. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you, not by you, for you, for the forgiveness of sins because my forgiveness is going to support you while you're being pushy tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the supportive one, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you would descend on us right now. Forgive us for being pushy. And we know that you're faithful to forgive. And we know that we stand in your forgiveness right now. But with the room that forgiveness creates, teach us to be supportive. Woo us to be supportive. Melt our hearts of stone so that we would become supportive. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Nourish on Christ by faith in your heart. And so again, everybody on this side, you can come. If you feel comfortable, you can come and meet me this way. Everybody on this side, you can come and meet me this way. You can leave through the center. If you do not feel comfortable coming up for communion, the ushers will give you uh, communion. And if you feel the Holy Spirit saying, oh, well, there's some pushiness I want you to offer. When you get communion, just kind of hang out. It might get a little sloppy around here. It's okay. Just kind of hang out at the altar for a moment and just offer the Holy Spirit that area of being pushy. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.